Good morning, everyone. It's, it's really good to be here this morning. Uh, I'll just say this really quickly. Worship, worship really is a, a balm to the soul. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy this time that we're, we're living in. Um, just, just, just thinking about this past week and, and uh, so much that has already transpired this, this past week, I, I just feel like worship is really such a beautiful and wonderful balm to our souls. Uh, anybody ever got up on a Sunday and you, you, you felt like you didn't want to come to worship and you willed yourself out or maybe your parents dragged you, I don't know, but you, you, you came here and the worship experience, you came in empty, but you left just overflowing. Any, anybody here ever had an experience like that. Uh, I'm just grateful that we serve a God who understands, we serve a God who cares, and we serve a God who is able uh, to fill us up when we are empty. And so this morning, I just want to take the opportunity, I want to ask just three individuals, if they're even in here, I want to ask Terry McMinn just to stand. Uh, I, I don't know if Terry is in here. Terry McMahon, all right, so this is Terry McMahon. I want to ask Ashley Cunningham to just go ahead and stand really quickly. Um, Ashley, she's, okay, so she's in the foyer, so, so Ashley Cunningham, and let me ask, let me ask Kathy Hoggins, I'm looking around to see if Kathy is here, all right, so, so Ashley, Kathy, and Terry, they are going to be our three, oh, here's Ashley, she heard her name. Could, could we clap it up for these three ladies? They are going to be... They are going to be our three hub ministry leaders. All right, and so today, uh, it's the official launch of this hub ministry, uh, and we do intend to go to each class and just share a little bit more about what that ministry uh, really entails and to also invite individuals to come and to be a part of that ministry. So if you see somebody in your classroom talking about that, uh, please give an open air and an open heart to that. And if you feel so inclined, we really want to encourage everyone uh, that feels called to participate and be an active member of this ministry. Also, there's going to be a table outside that's designated for sign up. So again, if you feel like this is something that you could dedicate time to, uh, then please come by that, that sign-up booth and see us. If you need information, we'll have more information readily available. Uh, we do intend to have an orientation for this ministry. Uh, that orientation will take place next Sunday at 5 p.m. right here at the building. So if you need some time this week to think about it, pray about it, we're going to take sign-ups even, even after the orientation has taken place, but we want you guys to be aware and to know uh, so that you could prepare, prepare yourselves and come to participate and be uh, actively involved in that. Today is going to be the last installment of our uh, Where We Find Identity series. And, and I've really thought about how we should end this series. And uh, part of me wanted to go back and, and look at Jesus in, in seeing what identity really looks like and what identity really means. Uh, but I came across a text. It's not that it was an unfamiliar text to me, but as I came across this text, just perusing scripture and, and, and studying for this last 
um, sermon, I fell upon a text in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. If, if, you're, if, if you don't mind, let me just read this into your hearing. This won't necessarily be uh, the heart of, of our sermon, but it really is going to act as a springboard of sorts. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. As Paul shares some of his gratitude, or, or really the foundation of his gratitude for the mercy that God would have extended towards him, here is what he would say, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to be or blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that only comes from Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. I am the worst of them all. But God, who had mercy on me, saw that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Let me repeat verse number 16. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So as I thought about finding a way of bringing this series to a close, where we find identity, uh, I found it necessary to look at the, the person of the Apostle Paul. And the reason why I think it's, it's so important for us to recognize Paul is because Paul himself, through inspiration of the Spirit, identifies his role and his function in God's grand scheme of redemption. And so he recognized that, that God had used him and called him for, for a specific purpose. And so I want us, as we look at Paul, to not just see ourselves and recognize ourselves in Paul as a person prior to becoming or in, in having an encounter with Jesus, but we also need to see ourselves within the person of Paul as to who he was and who we are after he and we encountered Christ our Lord. So as we think about the Apostle Paul, Paul represents some individuals and Paul represents some things to us. Paul represents the person who believed that they were right, but ultimately they came to realize that they were wrong. Paul represents the person who was religious, overly so, but they didn't necessarily have the type of relationship that God had required them to have. 
Paul represents the person who was proudly following tradition and not necessarily understanding the truth of Scripture. Paul represents the person who loved Jehovah God but couldn't see his own flaws. Paul represents the person who loved his country so much that he was blinded to God's overall creation. Paul represents the person who is filled or was filled with zeal, but ultimately that zeal was not according to knowledge. Paul represents the person who had the use of both of his eyes, but ultimately he could not see. Paul Church represents the person that was fully educated in his day and his time. An academic of academics you could call Paul, but even though he was educated, he represented those educated individuals who were ignorant and who are arrogant. You ever found or, or came into contact with a know-it-all? Paul, if we are honest, stands as a true representation of us before we encountered Christ, but more importantly, hopefully, after we have had this encounter with our Lord. As we think about ourselves and as we reflect on the person of Paul, I want us to appreciate some things before we move really quickly into our text, and I, I hope to be really short this morning. I want us to appreciate that as Paul sets himself up as, I love how the New Living Translation puts it, he puts himself as the prime example. Notice the scripture is telling us, and Paul is saying that if, if God could, could save me, then he could save you. In, in, in other words, Paul is recognizing that if, if God could use someone like me, then surely he could use someone like you. I, I, I don't, don't, don't miss it. Paul, Paul is trying to say that if God could use a, a sinner like me, the worst of sinners, if there ever was the worst of sinners, if Paul, if God could use me, a sinner or a sinner like me, surely... He could save and he could use a sinner like you and I. So as we think about Paul and as we look at the reality of where we stand in light of our relationship to God, I want us to appreciate something about the Apostle Paul in contrast or even in connection to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to come with me really quickly into the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, and I want to make our way down to verses 14, 15, and 16. This is going to be where our text is, our sermon is actually taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. And I want us to lift for a title this morning from this text, I know who I am. I know who I am. As Paul writes to these brethren at Rome, there are several things in the backdrop that makes this letter such a potent and such a powerful work by the hands of this inspired 
apostle or man of God. This is a place, this is a church, this is a group of believers that Paul didn't necessarily have a hand in establishing. You, you read of his letter to the Corinthian brethren. You read of his letter to the, the brethren in Ephesus. You, we read of his letters, for example, to Titus and to Timothy. You read his epistle to the Philippian brethren. And, and you recognize that there are a number of places and a number of epistles that Paul writes to different people, groups, and congregations that he and Barnabas and their protégés had a firm hand in establishing these churches in these several places. However, as you you take a, a quick glance at the book of Romans, Rome was not one of those places that Paul was yet privileged to have visited to help establish the word of God or the gospel there. And so as the church uh, grew and the church flourished, we understand that there, are, there, there were some possibilities as to how the church could have been established. There, there is a tradition that says that maybe Peter would have journeyed to Rome and Peter started the church at Rome there. there. There's, of course, this context that we find in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, where they were all together. All these Jews came from all over the then known world to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And there were people from all over the globe. There is a phrase within the confines they're called strangers of Rome. And on the day of Pentecost, when about 3,000 individuals were saved, the consensus is, the thinking is, maybe some of these strangers of Rome also became recipients of the gospel and being baptized, they became members of the body of Christ. So having journeyed back to their homeland, they began to share the gospel and the gospel would have spread through these individuals who traveled for Pentecost but left as having received the gospel and becoming Christians that particular time when they were in Jerusalem. But nonetheless, there is a particular background and backdrop to, to Romans that we need to pay particular attention to. Uh, we understand from history there was a time when Claudius would have, uh, this was a, a Roman official, Claudius would have uh, effected an edict in about AD 49 where he he said and he, he pushed all of the Jewish people out of Rome for the space of about five years. And so it's generally understood that as Paul is writing to this church at Rome, a church he has never been there before, he, he wants to visit, he hopes to visit, but he sends this letter ahead of time uh, to prepare them, hopefully, for his visit. There's a number of things that Paul wants to do. Paul wants to encourage these brethren, number one, in the Lord. He wants them to grow. He wants them to be strong. But two, there's also a division that has taken place because of this edict that was mandated back in AD number 49. Uh, and so what happened was when, when Claudius pushed all the Jews out, the idea or the thinking was that when these Jewish brethren even, who were members of the church, had to be forced out, now it left a church to be predominantly run and governed by Gentile brethren. And so now the church has functioned for the past five or so years. It has flourished even with, within the confines of Rome by the, the, the working and the dutifulness at that of these gentilic brethren who became members of the body of Christ. So at the end of the edict, here comes now these Jewish brethren and they are making their way back into Rome. And so now they are, they are having to navigate this issue of, well, do we establish a Jewish church 
Or do we go ahead and establish a Gentile church? Or do we have one church that is diverse? And I need for us to stop right here just for a second because this is important. This is valuable. This is, this is theology to us. It's easy for us to create churches where we are comfortable and everybody looks the same and everybody acts the same and everybody has the same culture. But notice Paul as he writes to the brethren at Rome, what makes this letter so pertinent for us in the 21st century church here at Antioch is that doing the easy thing doesn't always equate to the right thing. It's easy for us. Could I, could I be open and could I be honest? This is not on script. You could ask my translator. This is not on script, but I just feel like the Spirit is saying, I need to say this. Could I say this, church? It's easy for us to have the black folks on one side and have church at one time. It's easy for us to have the white brethren have church at another time. It's easy for us. I'll, I'll talk to my Hispanic brethren now, for the Hispanic brethren to come together, sing their songs in, 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 in Spanish, to pray their prayers in Spanish, to read scripture in Spanish. God knows they needed to have a, a, a Spanish-speaking brother to preach unto them. It's easy for us to do that. But is the easy road the high road? So when Paul writes to, to the brethren at Rome, Antioch, I need for us to appreciate that what we're doing here might be hard. And even though it might be hard trying to meld all these different people groups together, even though while it might be hard to meld all these cultures together, even though it might be hard to meld all these languages together, I'm telling you there is a benefit to going through the process when it's hard. May it never be Antioch Church of Christ. May it never be churches across the globe that we take the easy way out in creating separation and calling that unity. So Paul is fully appreciative and understanding of the fact that these Jews and, the, and these Gentiles have come back into this place and it would have been easy for them to establish a Gentile church and it would have been easy for them to establish a Jewish church and he says that's not church. I'm going to say this, Thomas. Some of my, my, my black brothers and sisters won't like it too much, but I'm going to say this, right? Among white churches, predominantly white churches, guys, I'm, I'm asking you for, for some latitude. I'm, I'm using some strong language here, white and black. Among predominantly white churches, it's becoming more prevalent. Just, just in case you, you miss where I'm coming from, because I don't want you to think that I'm here to, 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 to push a black agenda or whatever. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I'm all about unity, church. If, if you don't know me as a person, I am all about unity, whether that's in the black church, the white church, the Hispanic church, the Chinese church. I am all about unity. And let me share this with you. I was, I was talking to Thomas. Let me talk to Thomas. As much as, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to help us understand something, as much as we look at the divide in churches, you do find more and more Caucasian dominant churches opening up their pulpits to black and Hispanic, do I even say Asian preachers? That's not to give ourselves a pat on the back, but that's us understanding and recognizing the value of diversity. I dare you to find a predominantly black church that will open up its pulpit to a Caucasian brother. 
And I want to I want to challenge I want I want to challenge my 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 African American brothers to to, to, to be honest. And, and so oftentimes it's it's a matter of well that's not really our style. Uh, you know we we have a certain culture in our churches. I want us to appreciate something. If we're honest with ourselves, let's be honest. If we're talking about unity and diversity, that's across the board. And so Paul is, is, is understanding the backdrop, the backdrop. Paul is understanding the history. Uh, and he's understanding that it would have been easy for them to separate themselves as a group and to have church. But as I said before, doing the easy thing doesn't equate to the right thing. A church is to be reflective of the community of which it is a part. So if the community that the church finds itself located is diverse, then by, by all means and definition, the church that's located there is supposed to be diverse. So let me, let me just clarify my statement if you find fault with my statement earlier. I want us to understand that if we are in a, a, in a location where the population is, is predominantly black, then by all means you are expected to have a predominantly black church. If you are in a location that's predominantly white, don't expect to see this great diversity that's taken place. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in communities that are reflective of great diversity, the church in its naturalized state is supposed to reflect that. So Paul doesn't take the easy road. Paul takes the righteous one. Paul doesn't take the traditional route. Paul takes the truthful one. Truth could be easy if we allow it, but sometimes truth is hard. And so Paul, understanding this in the backdrop, he, he wants the church to understand that I'm writing to you guys, and I understand the dynamics that's there. I understand that sometimes things are lost in translation based on culture and customs and the way that you do things. Could I... I'm not, I don't even know if I'm going to get into my sermon this morning, but I'll tell you this. The way that, I'm just trying to show culture, right? This, this all goes into the background and backdrop of, 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 of Romans, mind you, but I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to drive home a point. Let me, let me just show you the difference in, in culture. <laughs> the way that William Beard's parents grew him up might have been a whole lot different than the way a Caucasian parent might raise their kids. <laughs> Black folks sometimes raise their voice to their kids. Black folks sometimes grab their kids by the collar. Black folks sometimes exaggerate some, dis some, some discipline type stuff. You, you might think, <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying, I, I'm, I'm just saying, some, some, some folks have been known to leave America, go to the Caribbean just so that they could discipline their kids and then come back to the U.S. <laughs> you, you, you might think that a child were, was going to die in, in, the, in the altercation between parent and child, but I, I'm living proof that, <laughs> that, that licks don't kill you. <laughs> help, help straighten you out. But the point, I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to drive home is that there, there are different ways in which you operate depending on our family dynamics. 
But we got to learn how to live with each other. If, if, if I'm being honest, I, if I'm going to be honest, like, like, like black folk could be rowdy sometimes. You, you, you might think if you're with a black family or a black person, and, and I know not all black people are this way, so I don't want to you know, perpetuate any type of stereotype, but, but if, if you're with a black family uh, for, for about an hour, I'm telling you, there's not going to be a dull moment. You, you, you won't, if you need quiet time, you might have to go to the restroom, and even you, you'll hear voices coming through the door. I'll tell you that. The, 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 and, and, and some people may not necessarily, that may not be your cup of tea, but I want us to understand that even though there are cultural differences, we have to learn to love and appreciate one another in our cultural backgrounds and differences. That's the beauty of diversity. If you don't like spicy food, don't come to the Caribbean. If you don't like spicy food, don't, don't ask uh, sister so-and-so who is black to, to, to do fried chicken for you because she won't just put, you know, flour in that batter. She's going to put some, some cayenne pepper and some, some red seasoning and she's going to make that thing hot. And when you bite into it, your face, if you are Caucasian, is going to turn red. And you will say things like, mm, this is good, but all the while your, your mouth is burning and, 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 and your eyes is, is running tears because, because it's that hot. I'm trying to help us to understand that yes, there are things that may make us uncomfortable as far as culture is concerned, but church, I promise you, if we're able to develop a type of culture that melts and melts all of these cultures together, we would develop such a beautiful culture the likes of which the world will look at us and wonder, how did you do that, Antioch Church of Christ? How did you take Hispanics and, and African Americans and Caucasians and Egyptians and people from, from Burma, how did you take all of these people groups and under one roof, under one banner of heaven, have everybody united and loving each other. That doesn't mean that we won't encounter difficulties. And our response to them would be simple. We did it with the love of Christ. So Paul understands the background. Paul understands the context. And in as much as he understands the background and the context, he, he is fully invested in these brethren because he identifies three things. And I just want to touch these. I won't have, to even, I won't have time to even go into a full explanation, but he identifies three things about himself. And by extension, I believe he's identifying three things to us that becomes vital to us as we think about our identity and our true identity in Jesus Christ. Here is the contrast as you think about Christ versus the Christians. Christ, as John explains, and I've, I've done this before, but I just want to say this into your hearing really quick. Christ, as John explains, identified several things about himself. These, these are found in the I am statements throughout the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. 
And, and, and sorry, John identified these I am statements of Jesus to, to highlight that Jesus knew exactly who he was. And because he knew exactly who he was, he could fulfill and walk in his purpose, a purpose that was supposed to glorify God. And I'm hoping by now that we've made the association that over the past couple of weeks, I've tried to express to us these two realities. Number one, identity is revealed in my relationship to Jehovah. Young people. I want to ask all our young people to stand. Not the young at heart, but the young people. Young people, would you stand with me? Young people, the longer you take, the longer the summer's going to be, and I only have four more minutes. Come on. Young people, if you're, if you're in your teens, young, young, please stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Young people, if you're 21 and, and, and younger, stand up, apparently. <laughs> Beautiful. Repeat after me. Identity is revealed. Come on, you're young, come on. Identity is revealed in my relationship to Jehovah. Identity is revealed in my relationship to Jehovah. In other words, God teaches you who you are as you connect and develop your relationship with him. All right? Don't sit down yet. I have one more. So not only do we recognize our identity is revealed through our relationship to Jehovah, but here's number two. Repeat after me, identity, come on, preach it, identity reveals purpose. Identity reveals purpose. Can I ask everybody to stand up with, with, with them? Can I ask everybody to stand up with them? I have three more minutes, so I need to preach this in three more minutes. Can I ask you to just hold the person's hand next to you? And look into somebody's eyes while you make this statement. Just look at them. It might be a loved one, it might be a neighbor, it might be a friend. But as you make this statement, I want you to look at that person and make this statement with me. Identity is revealed in my relationship with Jehovah. Identity reveals my purpose I want you to have your seats so here is what I want us to see as we close all of that brother Morgan you haven't gotten your text yeah I'm, I'm, I have one more minute in Romans chapter 1 verses 14 15 and 16 Paul identifies three I am statements. And if you think about Jesus identifying himself in his I am statements in the book of John, here is Paul identifying some I am statements. This is who I am in relation to my God. This is who I am in reflection of my purpose. Paul identifies three I am statements. Within the confines of Romans chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. You guys ready for this? 
In, in verse number 14, he says, I am, say, I am a debtor. So that's I am statement number one. In other words, Paul is understanding that, yes, I recognize my identity as a servant, and as a servant, in all humility, I understand my purpose. My purpose in life from here on out till death do, do we part is to understand and appreciate that I am a debtor. I had a debt that I could not pay. Christ paid it for me, but it meant that it left me in debt, not necessarily to the Christ, but to everyone else. So Christ died for me, and now my life is going to be lived out as an apostle trying to serve and bring as many as possible to Jesus Christ. So he says, I am a debtor. Church, you and I, if we have to recognize our identities, we need to see ourselves as indebted to Christ, yes, but also indebted to the world. There's not a single person that you and I should be coming into contact with who does not have a relationship with Christ that we should not be attempting to bring into communion with Christ. So he says, number one, I am a debtor. Number two, look at verse number 15 of Romans chapter number one. He says, I am ready. Say, I am ready. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Some of us may have problems identifying one of these three. Because while we would claim we are debtors, are we really ready to preach the gospel to those who need it? But not only does Paul say, I am a debtor, not only does Paul say, I am ready, but look at the last one, verse number 16, and I'll be done. Repeat after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know what that means, Tim? When, when Paul was moving with his Jewish brethren, he wasn't afraid to stand up for the Gentile brethren. And when Paul was speaking on behalf of the Gentile brethren, he wasn't afraid to speak even for the Jewish brethren. In other words, there, Paul stood in the truth of the gospel and he was not ashamed, no, not one bit, to share the truth of the gospel wherever he was. So the three I am statements I want us to see as we recognize this identity. Hopefully it's not an identity crisis anymore, but I, I, I hope we recognize who we are. We are debtors, every single one of us. We ought to be ready to preach the gospel, every single one of us. But also, we should never, ever, 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 ever be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If you believe that, say amen. amen. If you trust that, say amen. amen. If you know that there are things that you ought to, to, to change and to work on, don't say amen. I want you to invite you to come up and, and, and pray with us. I'll, I'll stand right here if you need someone to pray with. We have our elders that are going to make their way in the front. And I want to encourage you, I want to implore you, time and life is too short for us to not be engaged in the preaching and the sharing of the gospel. I want to encourage you. So let's all stand. We're going to sing our song. I'm done. I told you I was going to take three minutes. I'm done.
Where we find identity? It's in Christ alone. 